You're listening to United, United Q Podcast. United Q. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe and Smokewood Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top-notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. I'm Dan and I'm here with my co-host Ben. Hello. And on this week's show we've got Neil Rankin. Hi Neil, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good, awesome to have you on. We, we were just saying off, uh, off air that we've literally been trying to get you on for a good few years, but I think the first time was on the run-up to the opening of uh, Temper, I was going to say Temper 1, and now this time we were, we've been trying to get you on as, as Temper 2's been rolling out, and, and now I think we've managed to just squeeze in a, a day maybe where you're not so <laughs> mental. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the worst time to try and contact me just before I open a restaurant because my head is fizzing you know <laughs> i don't really know what i'm doing i've got about a million things i need to do but haven't done and i am not the most organized bloke in the world so for me to do something in the scale is just scary um so yeah anything and, I, and you can imagine it's as soon as the pressure release drops that everybody's like oh can i just do this oh can i just do this and i'm just like ah. <laughs> um, i've got a yeah. restaurant to run leave me alone yeah, but I mean, most of the year I'm absolutely fine, but you guys never contact me at that time. You always contact me when you're super busy. You know, most of the time I'm pretty chill. Uh, but yeah, yeah, these sort of times. It's about to build up for temper three now, so uh, I'm just starting to get the panic. Um, so you've just caught me at the right time. Perfect. So let, let's, let's step back. I guess we'll get on to temper in a minute. Can you tell us, first of all, like your background, how you started off in the chefing world and all the rest of it? Chefing world, I was quite late. I was 30 years old when I started. So um, I took a career change and worked at a local French restaurant and went on to do culinary school um, in Woking at uh, Tom Marie's, like a uh, Cordon Bleu diploma. Um, oh. And then I worked during that time, I worked for Nuno Mendes at the Loft Project, um, which was became quite successful. <laughs> Um, quite sort of iconic because like the first sort of supper club to be done, you know, on that sort of scale. Um, then I came out, got a job for Two Michelin Star Place in Surrey, and then worked for Shea Bruce, the Glass House. Um, worked for, I mean, quite a number of Michelin places in London before I bumbled into work for Adam Perry Lang at Barbacoa. Yeah, and I that, think that was that was when I first. I guess first heard of you was at that point. I think when Barbacoa was first starting, that was when. Yeah, you, I mean, you weirdly, were I, was doing, I was doing a lot of blogging back then, um, building up. I was just doing a lot of. I, I, I was testing recipe. I had a little science blog, so doing like recipe testing and stuff like that. So I was kind of that's how the sort of Twitter and things started because I don't think chefs at that stage really did Twitter or 
any of these things. And I got into it through that. And then I started going to sort of like events and things like that and, and realized the sort of power of doing pop-ups and things like that at that, that time and just getting your name out there so that people sort of knew what the hell you were doing. Yeah. And did, did you did you know what you were doing back then or was it no, one of the things, it was a bit no, more of a no, self-discovery no. as you were cooking I, and trying new things, doing these pop-ups, you were sort of discovering who you were and stuff? I was awful. Um, I mean... I think when you start off, and I see it a lot in young chefs now, and they come through with ideas and they go, this is a really great thing. You go, it's, it's, it's not great. Um, I mean, my, my food ideas, I, I, luckily my, my website is no more. I think it lapsed ages ago. It was still up. Weirdly, it was up in Japanese for a while. Uh, <laughs> and there was a weird Japanese version of it. I was like, I don't know how this came up here, or Korean or something. And... It was still there. The pictures were still there, and I just hated it. I was like, oh, my God, this food looks terrible. Um, I just didn't know what, what I was doing. Um, but I knew scientifically behind what I was cooking. My food tasted okay, but, but the look and feel it had no style. It had no substance to it. And then I did, when I was at Barbacoa, I think that was quite a changing moment because they, they kind of gave me – they didn't know what, what the hell they were doing either when I opened up that. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. It was so many heads trying to run a sort of, like, massive – um, so massive oil tanker driven by you know lots of different people who didn't know how to drive oil tankers. I think and <laughs> this thing's just going everywhere. And but but in that it sort of gave me a bit of room to maneuver and and to sort of do. Uh, we did specials every day, and because the guys were so distracted, I just did them myself. And I just I kind of formed a style in there and and sort of started to put stuff together and started to play with things for for covers and actual serving restaurant people with them. So, I mean, I think that was sort of the beginning of me doing something that wasn't terrible. Um, and then I did a pop-up um, just before I did Pit Q Company. Um, it was like a pork tasting menu I did as a supper club. And it was the first time I cooked food and I thought, this is actually quite good. Um, it's all right. And I, I started to think about it and started to think about composition and started to think about how the plate looked and started to think about what worked, what didn't, and and just sort of comfort, uh, my first step into comfort food that, that wasn't sort of chef-y, if you know what I mean, but but still had some sort of substance and technique to it. Yeah, so you, and with, was did you know like before you started that you already had this kind of love for the kind of charcoal way of cooking, like that style of no. things? I know, but, but I think I think charcoal cooking is just fun. I think it's just it's a fun thing to do. It's not. I don't think, you know. I mean, I think it adds it adds a even cooking. I mean, it's it's about cooking in an even heat. That it's quite hard to find that balance. People always think it's it's easier to do it in a frying pan or something. I mean, in certain ways it is, but it's actually quite hard to find that balance um, when you're cooking that way. I mean. Uh, gas cooking over gas is really bad because it's really it's just a, just a constant hot heat so there's no it's too hot or too cold whereas charcoal just it kind of works it's easy um to cook for long periods of time over um and it's fun you know it's fun to see fire burning up everywhere and flaming things and things going smoky and stuff and when you're stuck cooking i mean i think when you're cooking at home for a couple of people it's it's fun to do it for them but if you're stuck cooking with a water bath and or just just frying stuff in exactly the same way in a pan for 16 hours a day in a restaurant five days a week 
doing it every week in, week out for years on end, you get bloody bored, you know, and then to suddenly give that chef this open pit grill, which is furiously hot and loads of flames everywhere and unpredictable, you just take to it because you go, this is, this is fun. You know, this is something that I want to be doing. It's, it's, it gives it, it gives it more adventure. It gives it a sense of, you know, a sense of achievement and, and, and it, it rocks, knocks the consistency a little bit so that, so that you just enjoy yourself more. Yeah, I think that's one thing you do really notice when you, I mean, sit around the, the sort of uh, the kitchen area in temper is, is the sort of smile on the faces of the chefs and them all enjoying themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm a real good friend of mine. And when I popped into the first time, I was lucky enough he was working. And I don't know, it was sort of like uh, a few things, I probably he did a few things off menu as well, just trying a few things out. He was saying he was trying a few yeah, things. He does that quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, and anyway, it's great. It's great to see. It's great to just no, sort is. of but, but, be but, able but, to converse both. with the chef over the bar and sort of be like, I'll try this or like have a bit of this. What do you think of this? And it's, that's cool to see and, and, and cool to be a part of when you're in a, in a place, basically. But I think, I think chefing has gone from a point where I think, you know, we're losing a lot of chefs at the moment. Well, I don't think we are losing a lot of chefs. I think just think there's too many restaurants. I think that's there's a bit of BS there. I don't think that um, the the chef crisis is is as real as people say it is. I think I think there's there's lots of chefs out there. I think they're just doing different things. I think a lot of them are doing um, contract work because because they get to do different things and they get to change up their career. This idea that that. Um, head chefs used to think when I started that it's a great thing to work for somebody for two to three years in a white box kitchen doing exactly the same thing over and over again and this is going to inspire them somehow. It's just fascinating to me how these people don't realise that that's the way to kill people's creativity. And also these smaller restaurants where there's no there's no chance of getting moved up a level. You know, it's like, oh my God, you know, they used to say that, oh, it'll take you years before you're in this position. Take it. And I think there's a certain truth that that's fine. But then on the way you want some, you you know, as a, as a human being, you need focus and you need entertainment and you need, you know, you need, you need, you need to know that I'm going to go from here to here and this is my progression. And, and, or else you need to enjoy that time that you're there. And without any enjoyment, without any progression within your career or any thought of any progression, what is it? You're just learning basic skills from somebody. And once you've learned them, you might as well bugger off and go somewhere else. And that's what happened in the in the kitchen industry. And people got bored, like- bored of working in a white box all day. I mean, who the hell wouldn't? You know, it's like, yeah. it's almost like, you know... They stick people in white boxes and mental asylums, you know, and, and that's a bad thing. And... You know, this prison sells more character than some of these restaurants, the kitchens I used to work in. And actually, some of them are nicer. Um, <laughs> I, you, know, I, you get bullied, beaten, um, shouted at, told you're useless, you know, s- stuck in a stuck in a too hot white box and get told you rubbish at your job. And then they go, oh, we've got the chef crisis. I wonder why that is. You know, get a life. You know, um, the good thing about temper and what we try to do is try to open up and go, these chefs now speak to the customers. They now see what they're doing. They have a bit of fun. They cook over flame and fire and, you know, and chat to each other. And, and there's a bit of camaraderie. And, and it's just more of a connectivity to what's going on that the front of house have always got. And it's just about enjoying your day a little bit more and, and not being stuck in a white box. Um, like, I think that's completely like, evident when you're in there. You you really do feel that from 
even when I've been in there and say, for instance, Martin hasn't been working, but a few of the other chefs have been working who I yeah. don't know and they don't know me. It's been an exact same experience where I've sort of sat there and again chatted to whoever was there and, and had a really I mean, good to be time. Fair, we've got it's... a small white box downstairs with people chained up just doing good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't talk about that. No. <laughs> Yeah, I think Ryan said at one point, I'm going to have to go into the white box for half an hour. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He said them down there when he gives yeah. him and his own things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so what is that? Is that something that you do as the, as the head chef here and uh, like managing director of Temper? Do you, do you give your chefs the freedom to do that sort of thing or are they just going off in, on tangents? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I like doing it. It depends who they are and what they're doing. I mean, they need to pass things through. Martin, Martin's been working with me since the beginning, though, and he's got a certain technique to him and he knows what I like and what I don't like. So I, I do I do have a trust in him that he's not going to go too far off piece. He's not He's not that sort of guy, though. You know, so if there's a, if there's a piece of, you know, I don't really want to be... If we, we, we go through the whole animal thing, so there's, there's bits that we need to use up, you know? Yeah. And then he'll just be like, you know, I have to use this, so is it okay to do this? He knows he knows the boundaries. He's got boundaries of things that he can and can't do. And as long as he sticks between that, it's fine, because actually it beneficially helps us use these things, you know, kidneys and things like that that come on the goats, you know, we need to use them up. There's no point in him, me recipe testing something every time a bloody kidney comes in. Yeah. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's gonna get sold, it needs to get sold fast. And it also, I mean, I think people come in, get that personal attention, and they like it. Um, and that that's part of it. It's part of an interaction between front and back of house and between customer and front of house and, and you know, chefs. And that interaction is what makes temper temper, I think. Yeah. There's also like a huge confidence thing for a chef as well, though. Like, for instance, Martin being told by, by Neil Rankin, who, I mean... I'm not gonna blow smoke up your ass, but is is a <laughs> is a big name in 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 our industry that we're into. I mean, the food industry, and also in particular, sort of the live fire cooking that side of things, yeah. and being sort of given the freedom and confidence to uh, cook on the spot and, and develop new things. And, but and but I think, new things think to you and stuff. The, everybody in there has. I mean, we. I don't. I don't I'm not a sort of overbearing boss. I'm not. I'm not even in there a lot. I don't. You know. I'm bad if I'm in there. If I'm in there, I change things. So I try and stay away as much as possible and just, just come in during the day and just, you know, work with the chefs and try and inspire them and try and do stuff like that rather than coming in in an evening and just mucking up their service because I'll just end up throwing everything in the bin if I'm there. I'm that sort of guy. If I don't like something, it just goes in the bin. And that's that's a bad thing on so many levels. Um, but, uh, I mean... In, in essence, I mean, these guys run run their sections, run their company, and they're there because you, you trust them. And I don't think that's a, you know, it's not a step too far. I think there's very few dishes come on the main menu. I don't think there's, there's probably one dish that isn't mine on the main menu of both restaurants, I think. And chefs do try and get stuff on the main menu. It's quite hard for them um, because it's a very specific thing that I like and thing that I think is temper and they've got to they've got to fulfill that um bracket and it's quite difficult because I suppose when somebody comes in and eats something off the main menu it's it's you know it's either mine or it's it's my ass on the line basically yeah know? yeah definitely you know, I'm, I'm gonna be the one that gets it I'm gonna be the one that's careers affected so I've got to you know set up for it. and actually to be honest they don't they don't try and come up with many things a lot of the time there's, there's just too much work to do in, in the meantime yeah 
So I guess we've dived straight in, but can you we can step back a little bit and just uh, like tell us what temper is and what the kind of concept is? Like, what what was your brainchild when you came up with temper? Um, when I came up with it, it was completely different because we were looking at a two thousand square foot site in Soho, um, and it was a little counter bar, a little bit like Barafina esque, with you know some guys cooking some nice barbecue, and we were going to do some whole goat and just cook that throughout the day and just do goat tacos and a few other things. And and then we got this huge bloody restaurant in the middle of Soho. So the whole game changed. And I was like, all right, well, and, and also we were up against basically, you know, all the sort of big restaurant groups to get that site because it was a really prime site. It was one of the best sites to come up in Soho in quite a few years. So I came up with the concept of just the absolute killer end of the line, biggest barbecue restaurant I could possibly think of, you know, just theater times a million. Um, and that's kind of what we got. You know, the, the restaurant was designed, first thing to be designed was the central kitchen and everything else came secondary, um, which is the complete opposite to every other kitchen ever done ever, <laughs> I think, you yeah. know. It's yeah. always like, oh, where could be the kitchen? All right, let's stick it there. Okay, well, well, that's what we can fit in with us. Actually, with this, we we're like, all right, I want this, 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 and this. And this is to do this. And, you know, and then everybody will sit around here. So from the outside, and this is what every single one is getting developed like. So that, that, that central island unit gets designed first. And then, then we go, all right, how many booths can we fit and how many this, you know? It makes uh, sense in a, in a, an arena where the food is the, is what people are there for to make that the center of attention to make that first and make everything else around it. Well, it is, and 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 then I mean, really, that that things because I mean, you can, uh, it, I mean, we 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 spent quite a lot of money on the design of that restaurant outside that anyway. I mean, it's quite a nicely finished restaurant. Um, um, you know, nice nice chairs, nice everything. You know, well designed, good lighting, and everything, and. Um, but we probably didn't need to, you know, there's a sense that if we wanted something to do that a bit stripped back, we could have had that, you know, very stripped back street food style all around it with just a few sort of comfort things here and there. And it would probably have worked to do too. Um, fortunately, it just doesn't, those sort of things don't last very long and you end up changing them all the time. So it's better to put in quality stuff at the beginning if you have, if you have the cash. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that wasn't, it was a secondary thought to the front and as much to the detriment of my, my designers, just, you know, they keep on coming up with ideas and I keep on poo pooing it because, it, you know, you just don't want to distract from the initial thing, which is people come there for the theater of the fire and then the music in the background. And then, you know, all the sort of fun, it's a, it's supposed to be a fun theater, theatrical experience in the end of the day with great food. Um, that's what we tried to do. We tried to, I tried to intermingle the sort of pick you idea of booze and fun and liveliness, which I think was the success of that, um, the original one anyway, um, um, with the sort of theatre that we do at Meetopia and things like that, where, you know, I just think people get drawn towards that, seeing us cook over open fire and seeing the whole animals and stuff like that. And that was the two things that I sort of pushed together to create what temper is. And then obviously, so another uh, distinct move Soho, uh, sorry, Temper did was when they opened up a second site, it wasn't a, a replica of the first site. It was its its own thing with a similar concept, I guess. So yeah. 
so rather than just going, okay, well, the temp is successful, let's just open another temp of Soho. It's this this yeah, is the concept still, but what can we do that? to evolve like, that? I don't, get, I don't get why people would do that. I understand that when you do it with, you know, like a steak place or a pizza place that you do that, and that's the idea, and that's where you want to roll out, and you want to have more of them, and blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, why do another temp of one in London? I don't, you know, I do one in New York or do one in... Um, Europe or um, maybe north of England or something like that, but but I don't think temper. You need another temper one in London. It's you know, it's it's packed, but you can still get a table um, if you want. It's a big restaurant. Um, yeah. and it's very specific food, and it's also you put yourself in the line of the next one. If all right, I do another one. They go, no, nah, I didn't like it. You know, your your cheeseburger tackle is better than the first one, and you know, yeah, you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I prefer this, and it's quite hard. The thing, thing that would be quite hard to capture with Temper One is not the food. We could re- replicate the food anywhere, but but the atmosphere of Temper One, that coming down from this dingy Soho basement, which feels, you know, um, like a lot, sort of like lost little speakeasy, and the sort of blandness of the upstairs, which is quite corporate, and then you go down, and it's just this fire and smoke, and then you hear the music and the thump, and then. You smell the smells and then sit down and I, I don't even know how you copy that. I mean, it'd be how do you copy something that's an original and in the same city? I mean, we could definitely find some way to do it in, in New York or LA or something and do something slightly yeah. different. But I think the comparison to be do one in London would be just really quite hard. We'd have to do something completely different. And you mentioned um, I don't first... know about doing another taco place like it in, in central London, um, but I think yeah. it would be a slightly different concept of what we do there. You know, it would have to feel a little bit different. Oh, definitely. And, and you mentioned a, a potential temper three. So no, potential three opens in April, so that's already been released. But but the the, the central idea behind it is the I mean the idea to do different things is to use different parts of the animal. So, I mean, we're using whole animal butcher. And when we say that, I mean, a lot of people go cough. You know, everybody does that. It's like, no, nobody does it. There isn't a single other restaurant in Europe or in the United States that I know about that does what we do. Um, Nobody orders an entire cow a week and butchers it down and whole pigs and whole lambs and whole goats and whole everything and uses every single little bit of it because nobody has a menu like ours, which is that diverse. The problem of doing that is that there are bits that we find really hard to use up, um, like the legs, for example, and the cows. It's just quite hard to get through that. So henceforth, we're doing temper three is going to be a lot about cured meats. We can do lots of brisolas and things like that and and take the goats, goat legs and, and use them. And temper two is much more about sort of braising cuts and things like that, you know, to do the curries, temper, there'll be a, there'll be a hamburger one where we just mince, use a lot of cow to mince a burger and just do a whole sort of cow burger thing. You know, there probably will be, or it might be something else like that, but that, that that's the level of thinking behind the, the food um, yeah. and changing up the concept. So the idea would be in maybe four years time to centralize a butchery of our own and just to use that as a hub to push everything out and then actually be able to, the, the, the chance is to actually be able to survive off small farms in London without using any, not in England, without using any factory farming whatsoever in the food chain, which I don't think any other meat restaurant of our, our um, size 
can or does do anywhere close to what we do. I would say something like Hawksmoor, if you look at the selling a sirloin steak in Hawksmoor, they would probably utilize, I don't know, hundreds of cattle within a day just to, be able to supply that one restaurant. We use one cow a week. So when you talk about sustainability within a restaurant um, and being able to track where your animals come from, nobody that I know of our size comes anywhere close to what we're doing. No, and so so am I hearing you right that kind of your the other tempers are almost like they're all like working together really because if you're yeah that's yeah. that's the idea and yeah. and if you just did one of the same thing you just did temper one over and over again that wouldn't work because you just have this backlog of all this stuff yeah that you can't use um, and that's the issue yeah no, that's awesome I didn't realize you were doing it in that way that's a really cool concept I love that. Um, well, we don't push it out because I don't think you need to, and it's not. That's the sustainable angle is kind of boring for me. I mean, it's not boring. <laughs> no, but it's not. But it's not. But it's not. It's not. It's not why people come out to eat. You don't come out to eat because we do biodegradable yeah. biodegradable straws in our restaurant, do you? That's not why you come for a cocktail. You wouldn't go go. Oh my god, that's temper. It's amazing. They do biodegradable straws. They don't use plastic <laughs> in the cocktails. Let's go there. That's not why they do it. They go. I'm going to go there because they do these banging mezcal cocktails that are going to get us messed up, you know, um, and they're all they're all delicious. I'm really trying hard not to swear saying that. Yeah, well it? done. You're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of medals. Yeah. Um, you know, but that, that's why people come. They come because the cocktails are good at a certain price and yeah. the atmosphere is good. They don't come because you, you care about the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we should, as a restaurant industry, care about the environment and do things that are sustainable, that's not why people come and eat. So I just don't think it's a message that we need to bang out. I mean, we do need people to know about it. Um, and we like people to know about it because I think it's something that other people should do um, and other people should focus on. I don't think, you know, some of these big meat restaurants and I don't think Hawksmoor and all that are in that bracket. They, they use decent suppliers, but... There's a lot of the big sort of American chains coming over and doing it and importing massive factory farming beef from America and doing these big cut steaks. I mean, I think it's disgusting, you yeah. know, and I think, think I don't think people should be going there. Um, I, I think it's I think it's horrible. Um, yeah. I think when we know what's going on, it's the last thing we should be supporting is is I mean, USDA and USA is, is a OK, but I mean, I, doing it over here and bring it over here, USDA meat, I just think, it, you know, why, what, what are we doing? We're doing it to satisfy a small percentage of the population that would care about that sort of thing. It's not, but it's, that's the sort of stuff that's, you know, that's yeah. what's killing us. That's what, that's, that's the vegan argument. You know, that's what the vegans are right about. They're yeah. right. They've got a point. Um, vegetarians do have a point about that. Um, and there's no getting away from it. And you either promote the good side of it, um, or you give up and become vegan. I don't think, I don't think, but I don't think there's an in between. I don't think. I don't think you can sit there and be be holier than thou about meat eating and 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 look at the vegan community and and tell them they they've got it wrong when you're sitting there eating factory farm chicken. You know, I think you know this is a hypocritical statement. And I try and get away from life. I don't. I don't avoid it entirely, but. You know, if it wasn't for these small farms being able to produce the meat they're meeting, I think I'd probably be vegetarian too, yeah. <laughs> or pescatarian or something. So, so I think like what you said that is people don't come out and choose your restaurant because of those things, but the fact that you're doing them, you, you need to tell people you're doing it as well to try and hopefully educate more people to try and do the same thing. Yeah, so. I think it's an education side, but I don't think going out to eat is an education. You know, I don't, you know, I mean, no. you know, 
you read that in the press and it's a nice thing to read and it'd be nice if that, that got out a little bit more. But I think that people come to the restaurant to eat and have a good time. I don't want to bore them with this stuff. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not the point. No. Um, but I think it's, I mean, you know, the, the plastics thing, people are taking onto it and restaurants are, are reacting really well to it and taking plastic off their menu. Um, I, I don't know how the fine dining groups are going to, going to handle it with all the bloody CV bags they use in their restaurants. But, um, it's something we have to. It's something we have to annihilate, and it's something we have to. You know, the, I, was, I did a post the other day on. I went into uh, Waitrose, and I mean, I would pull Waitrose out because actually they're all the bloody same. But the amount of plastic and everything you buy, you buy an apple, it's covered in plastic. You buy a fennel, it's covered in plastic. You know, you buy a fish that you know it's not covered in plastic. Then they put it in plastic to give it to you, and you're like, ah, oh, why the hell? <laughs> you know, everything's everything's got. You, you, you calculate on a daily shop, but I don't shop in supermarkets much, but if you just shopped in there, you know, twice a week, the amount of plastic you would need to eat the basic food that doesn't need plastic anywhere near it, it's just ridiculous. Um, and then you look at restaurants who are trying to, you know, take it out of their entire system, and it's quite hard, um, but we're, we're trying, and I don't see much attempt made by... Um, Waitrose and people like that who and Marks and Spencers have got there even worse aren't they? I mean it's just yeah. you know every single thing they do is apples in plastic I mean, an apple is in its own container it, it is yeah. you know and these things as well you get them back home and these they're apples that they have because all the apples you can buy from supermarkets and stuff like that aren't real apples anymore and they, they last for about seven years in your fridge don't they nowadays it's like <laughs> these things just don't ever go off it's like why did you need the plastic? I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it's the. Uh, I guess in terms of like the little restaurants doing it here and there, it's such a small fry in this big world of the supermarkets is the. the it ma- is but major I think big problem. I think the thing is the thing is you influence because people's buying power. I think the, the smaller people they they do things, uh, you know, they they make the the changes and create the fashion around the changes. You know, that's what restaurants are doing with the straws now. And there's a big thing now with sort of like things. So all these little little people coming out and saying we're doing this, and then that then turns public attention towards the bigger people who are gonna have to do something because um, as soon as soon as one person does it, they're gonna be the pioneers of it, you know. Yeah. And I kind of put that post out as I think I just think it's important just to to say that to these things because I quite like waitresses. I quite like what they do. I quite like their food. I quite like their, you know. But but. I think people need to be a bit more focused about what's going on now and, and just give them a little bit of, give them a little bit of crap in the moment, you know, yeah. to see what they do. I do enjoy your posts when you do post something a bit provoking like that and see what the reaction yeah, is. Yeah, my you... PR doesn't <laughs> at all. <laughs> a lot of people shrinking, shrieking when I, when I do stuff like that. But I, you know, I mean, I'm always honest with it and I try and, you know, I think I'm in generally quite a good person, you know, um, I don't, you know, um, so I don't post anything that's controversial. I, I will go at people a little bit too much and then regret it a little bit. But it's never it's never something that, you know, it's never Donald Trump stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's I, about Donald Trump. Like yes, yeah, usually. <laughs> I, know, I was going to say <laughs> when I was doing a bit of research, I was like, oh, I have a quick Google Neil Rankin. Uh, on the first page is just all stuff about you telling Gordon Ramsay to f off. <laughs> oh Jesus! I mean, that was but that was supposed to be a private Facebook post. I mean, yeah. it's just supposed to be 
me having a bit of a rant because I just thought, you know, that program was a bit, I mean, booty. I mean, it's, it was like, you know, I, I get, I get the whole argument against the drugs thing and I, I see it in, in my social life. I see it in things, you know, I mean, most of the people I know, I'm not, you know, excluding myself even from that myself, but, you know, but to, to categorize an industry that I've worked in for the past, you know, 10 to 15 years and seeing sort of the side of it that he hasn't, I just don't see it, you know, and, and I'm, I'm in it and I'm in it from as a commie chef at 30, you know, and, and in the hard kitchens and in the, in the big kitchens and I've worked in every sort of kitchen. I haven't just stayed in one type of kitchen, you know, I've done the small places, I've done the busy, I've done the 16 hour a day, six day a week, 19 hour a day, five day a week places. I've done the bully kitchens. I've done all that. And I, I just don't see anybody during a shift at work being able to get through even an hour of that work if they were doing anything like that. The people's perception of that kind of drug, that it keeps you awake and keeps you going, it doesn't. It would slow you down, yeah. you know? I don't know if don't know if you've ever done that drug before, but, but it, it makes you very jittery and unrelaxed, and it's the most obvious thing to see if somebody's on that. And I've spotted front of house on it before, and they've gone home straight away, you know. Um, I had to say, as soon as these people go out after work, I'm sure they're all on it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> but, that, but that's not that's not a categorization of our industry. That's just modern life in London, in a busy city, that people have an escapism because you know they don't. There's too much information and too much internet and too much pressure, and they're scared scared of cancer. They're scared of the plastics. They're scared of the environment. They're scared of, you know. Um, get a girlfriend thinking they're the wrong size and things like that. All these things that it's too much information brings in, and people now have more escapism. And I think you know people don't drink as much. And I think I think something like that is just I don't know. I mean it's 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 prevalent, but it's always been prevalent, hasn't it? Yeah. I think it, you know going back to the 1970s and 1960s, you know you know even before that it was just alcohol abuse. People always just got on it, haven't they? I don't think it's I don't think it's a <laughs> The mark of being a chef. No, you know. Just, yes, oh my God, it's chefs, they're all on it. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. You know. Um, but I'd say I'd say in the working day we work longer hours. I'd say probably less than most people. Yeah. <laughs> probably less than when I worked in the finance industry because it was pretty bloody prevalent in that. Um, it was rampant. I would say. Um, and when I worked, you know, in I was a sound engineer for a while and worked in the music industry, and it was just everywhere. Um, I think it's pretty much everywhere in the sports industry. And I think it's pretty much everywhere in media. I think it's pretty much everywhere in journalism. I, you know, all these sort of industries that it's absolutely rampant in in the music industry, in the you know, in the model industry. You know, that that stuff is everywhere. So why pick on chefs? And I think I think it's just a bit unfair. And I think we've taken a bit of a beating from everywhere. And I think the last person to give any lectures and people calming down and not doing something as somebody who tells somebody to F off every single day in the TV and acts like a pantomime dame every time he comes on <laughs> and creates, creates an impression of our industry that it's still bullying and stuff that stuff that he went through and stuff that he did. But that's not a general representation of what goes on in that. And that's why I got upset about it. <laughs> and I think, think the reason that it got, got press was the fact that nobody backed him and there yeah, is, yeah, everyone well, supported what you were saying. And 99.9% of it, apart from someone who's probably one of his PR, was was with me on that. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think I'll hear a response from him. 
No. Anyway, your book. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. That was, my, that was my fault. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so the long-awaited book came out, Low and Slow. And yeah, it's just about to get a reprint. But we're going to fix that, the mistake in it. Every single barbecue <laughs> expert or amateur barbecue enthusiast has pointed out to me as if I didn't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, I remember well, that. Last, well, I'll tell you, tell you what that was because we 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 did it, and I mean, there's so much quality checking to be done in a book like that. And yeah. then we changed, so the guy was doing the last thing to be done is all the drawings. Yeah, you're doing a book like that, and they sent me the initial one, and I marked it all up, and they sent it away. And then we needed to do a redraw of the whole thing, and they just redraw. And because I was checking at the same time, that didn't get double checked. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a kettle drum and a, and a big green egg, I think, that are mixed up or something like that. I can't remember. Hope, two hopefully, people weird. will work it out for themselves. Though. It's a pretty <laughs> obvious mistake, yeah. and if everybody gets that mistake, but I think you know, I mean, the reprint should have fixed that. I haven't actually checked. That. <laughs> but it's probably changed something else but i think it's quite funny i think, I think in some spots people don't know what the difference between those things are they probably shouldn't have picked up the book in the first place yeah it was good to do it it was it was a lot of work it was you know that was a good three years worth of work of prodding stuff with you know i've got 17 different thermometers in my house and i did you know, probably like a hundred chickens and God knows how many ribs and sort of stuff. And just, just working out why things cook the way they do. And I've got graphs of things, you know, and then, and the whole thing holds down to that, that I think you, we, we fly on, we, we, we usually listen to what people talk about as in timings for things. Most people, most go to you guys are like, Oh, how long do you take to cook of this? And I, you know, I, my end result is I don't really know. No. And because because everybody's barbecue is different, because everybody's oven is different, because everybody's things that, you know, we're all working in different parameters, so I don't think it does match up. It's okay when you're cooking something for like 10 minutes, but when you expand that time by from 10 minutes to three hours, you know, that three hours can be five hours, you know, or it can be two hours or it can be seven hours, you know, and I think, you know, so I needed to find a consistency to write a recipe for it. And I think the main thing that I found was that you need to track your oven temperature. You need to track the temperature of the thing. You need to track both temperatures in order to do it. And that's what most people don't do. And I think most people that have, when they write to me that they've made, there's a mistake in my book and they go, I've done this three times and it's not this. And I go, what, what temperature is your oven? And they go, oh, I don't know. And I was like, that's the number one thing I told you to do in the yeah. book. You know, if that's not right, you're not right, you know, it's not right. So, um, yeah. I think you're like you I, said, that is the most popular thing that you people always ask you is like, how long will this take to come? Yeah, and I was like, well, last time I did it, it took that long, but I'm not necessarily going to take that long this time. I mean, we used to, so we were in Picky with that tiny little, um, um, sort of, um, uh, pellet grill, pellet smoker, and we were doing about 100 ribs in a day in a tiny little pellet smoker. And, and you know, the first ones would come out after two hours and the, the, the last ones would come out after six hours. You know, I, it's, it's not, you know, there's not a, there's not a set time for anything. Um, 
unless you've got a perfect setup, like even like, you know, even like Franklin's, you know, they'll, they'll pull stuff off at different times. Not, he doesn't go in and pull these briskets out all at the same time. It's all, you know, there's a differential. There's, you know, things cook at different times. Things have gone in. Things are different temperatures before they went in. Things, you know, it's not, it's all about touch and feel and just staying there. There's not an easy fix. Um, but that's why I did everything in the oven for it because I just thought it was more sensible to um, use an oven and a frying pan because it's a little bit more consistent and yeah. you get time. But I liked, I did like how your book's different in the fact that it is more, it's like there's kind of experiments of like bashing out steaks, seasoning steaks. It's, like it's all about kind of the science of food as well almost, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, you, the, the, the thing is, there's a million ways to do something. It's not like there's a right and wrong. And I get that a lot as well. I go, I, you know, that's the wrong way to cook something. But <laughs> what worked, you know, there's always a wrong. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm better at cooking this or I'm doing this. So it's like, okay, well, fine. You know, there's a million ways to cook something. Um, and the result is the result. You know, I don't like, you know, I don't like um, uh, reverse searing stuff. I don't like it. I find it inconvenient. Um, and I don't think that I'm all about, I'm big on the texture of the outside. I'm, I'm big on crust. Um, and I think the crust has developed more slowly over time. It's just a much deeper, much thicker, much more Maillard reaction, much more flavor in the steak. That's my belief. Um, and that's my goal. Um, it's this maximum color. Um, but some people don't care about that. So, I mean, it's it's fair enough. Well, what I do object is when somebody says you're wrong because they've done it another way and I've spent three years um, under highly scientific conditions doing graphs and everything on my steak and they cook one in their Ikea oven at home and go, yeah, this is both. You know, <laughs> uh, or you don't know how to cook meat. And I'm like, you know, maybe I don't, you know, but but... I think from the amount of big meat restaurants I've done, I probably cooked about six hundred thousand steaks in my time. You know, so if you if you bring that down as in somebody learning how to do something, you know, I probably know more about it than most people. Um, there are people that know way more about it, and there are people that do it more often than me. Um, but I know a hell of a lot about it. Um, and I had one guy on Amazon; he just really went for it, and I was like, I don't, you know, I wasn't being offensive. I was just like, I don't know who you are. And he was like, oh, I'm just this guy that cooks occasionally. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. I was like, well, you know, if you cook me, you know, if you're going to, if this was a, this was like, you know, on trial in a, in a thing and they were going to look for an expert witness, who would they choose between you or me? And he was like, probably you. I'd choose like, you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I don't know right from wrong. And I can't sit here and prove you wrong. And you can't sit here and prove me right. But. In terms of experience and things, you know, it's like me, it's like one of these internet people arguing against like King Albert Einstein or something like that about something because he's read something on Wikipedia that disagrees with him. You know, it's like, great. Um, but somebody that dedicates their life to somebody, you know, give them a break. Um, call me out in it and challenge me, definitely. But, you know, um, I don't know. It's, it was quite frustrating, some of the some of the comments. But most yeah. of them are pretty positive. Um and it's nice that some people pick up, and I, I love it when I see stuff on the internet. I saw one the other day for pork loin. It's just beautiful. Um, it's one nice. amongst sort of like peers of mine that it's it's one of a definite favourite book of theirs that they they enjoyed reading at the time when they got it, and also it's a book they 
often re- refer to or uh, take recipes and adapt from. So, so yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, but that, but that's what you should do with a book. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, expect people to turn out. And I did go to one restaurant that has just basically ripped my entire book off. But um, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> So, wow, these are all my sauces. And it's just like, um, but they... That's a good idea. I might try that. <laughs> <laughs> Save me a job I trying to work out recipes. I don't mind somebody doing that. I just think it's, it's kind, of, kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I have, I have hundreds and hundreds of cookbooks. I don't, I don't really read them as in do the recipes and what I tend to do is just flick through them, read the general gist of something, put something together and then start doing my own version of it. Yeah. Uh, and then it will adapt and then I change things and I look at things. And I think once you've done it for a long time and um, you just learn what you can change and what you can't change and what's important to the recipe is, you know, what has to stay. There's certain things like with pastry and stuff like that, there's certain parameters you can't, you can't mess with like the sort of wet to dry ratio and the amount of yeah. juice and things like that. But outside of that, it's, it's anyone's, it's anyone's game really. Perfect. Definitely. Right. We are, <laughs> 50 minutes over the half an hour mark. So I'm going to jump in and stop that. We we literally just talked about temper for most of it. Uh, <laughs> but we got some of the books squeezed in at the end. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been great chatting. Great. Um, yeah, fa- could you um, just tell everyone, Neil, where they can find you on your social media and stuff? So they can uh, abuse you. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Twitter and Instagram is at Frontline Chef. Um, awesome I get guys, I, anyone who has can I get a comment that? about uh, <laughs> how you feel about the iron brew uh, recipe changing before you uh, go I haven't tried it yet but I do trust these guys they're pretty alright <laughs> okay thank you Good. Um, I hope they're alright if not then my <laughs> business model's knackered anyway <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thanks again for being on mate alright no problem buddy cheers take care thanks bye bye Let's see. bye you're listening to your United Q podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Barbecue Gourmet, Kamado Joe, and Smoke with Shack, our awesome sponsors. ProQ provide quality smoking products with top notch service and free advice for beginners to pitmasters. And you can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under ProQ Smokers. Barbecue Gourmet, supplying the UK and Europe with top championship winning rubs, sauces, marinades, and accessories from the US and around the world. You can find them on Twitter and online under Barbecue Gourmet. Kamado Joe is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Check out commandojoe.co.uk plus Facebook and Twitter. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. Whether it's smoking wood chunks, dust, chips or planks, you can find them at smokewoodshack.com. And you can find them on Twitter at smokewoodshack.